0: You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Hobby Radio. My name is Keith, amateur radio operator W0NX. The following articles are from the August 2022, the Spectrum Monitor, and we'll begin by finishing the remainder of Radio 101 by Ken Reitz, KS4ZR. MILB on the radio, DOD crossband test, FD 2022 results, why I like SCR. Signal reports are not necessarily given as numbers 1 to 5, readability, and strength 1 to 9 plus dB, but instead as loud and clear, weak but readable, weak and unreadable, good signal, or just readable, depending on the DoD operator's reception. MarsCom usually provides an online form to report reception of all your contacts. DoD will use the data to analyze transmission, antenna, and power efficiencies. Here is my log from this year's test. Frequency is the asset's transmission frequency. Amateur is called in-band as directed. All of these contacts were sideband. Call sign, WAR, DoD Operation, Pentagon, DC. DoD frequency, 5,357 kilohertz. AAM3D, Cyberspace Operations, Maryland, 5,403.5 kilohertz. Marscom. 14,877 kilohertz. AAZ, Fort Huaca, Arizona. 14,579 kilohertz. AAC, Barrow Army Reserve, Kentucky. 13,963.5 kilohertz. AAC, Barrow Army Reserve, Kentucky. Six thousand nine hundred sixty eight point five kilohertz AFM four NPD Naval Support, Millington, Tennessee, fifteen thousand eight hundred seven kilohertz NAF Newport Naval Radio Station Museum, fourteen thousand four hundred sixty three point five kilohertz NWKJ USS Yorktown 7,360 kHz. NSS, U.S. Naval Academy, 5,330.5 kHz. AGA2SY, Hancock Field, New York, 13,993 kHz. The AFD Secretary of Defense message is also sent in CW and RTTY, On designated frequencies for SWL reception. Missed the crossband test, you can still participate throughout 2022. The Military Support Network offers a bi-weekly Chief Air Force Mars broadcast to AF Mars members and the general public containing information on Air Force Mars and work within the Auxiliary according to a statement from Marscom. These broadcasts are open to all shortwave listeners. You don't have to be a ham to participate. In fact, it's a listen-only broadcast. The purpose of these broadcasts is to provide the transmitting stations an idea of the general coverage of their signals. The transmissions take place on Friday at 2300 Zulu and Saturday at 0100 Zulu. Note this is not a two-day broadcast. In fact, the whole thing takes place in just one hour and 20 minutes. Here is the broadcast schedule. You may recognize some of these frequencies for other modes of operation throughout the year. Friday 2300 Zulu 11,121 kilohertz. Friday 2320 Zulu 6,994 kilohertz. Saturday, 0100 Zulu, 11,121 kilohertz. 0120 Zulu, 6,994 kilohertz. Transmission mode is voice, upper sideband. For the rest of 2022, the broadcasts will take place on the following dates. August 19th, September 2nd, September 16th, September 27th, October 14th, October 28th, November 11th, November 25th, December 9th, December 23rd. Like the crossband test, this may sound easy, but it's not. These transmissions are brief, and given propagation, time of day, Air Force Mars frequencies, and the station configuration, depending on where you live, you may not hear anything. How's that for a shortwave listener's test? 2022 field day report. Owing to a heavy schedule around field day this year, which included a great amount of yard work thanks to copious amounts of rain we have had I had to compress FD into one hour on Saturday afternoon and about two hours on Sunday morning. I was operating as 1EVA, single operator using emergency power from the state of Virginia, using the home station antenna at QRP level 5 watts. It's always a little daunting to hop into the middle of field day with wall-to-wall operators using only 5 watts. You always wonder if anyone will hear the signal until the first station comes back to your call. Then you're off. The bands were not the best, but also not the worst I've seen for FD. For my location, 10 meters was virtually unused. I did hear a few signals, but not strong enough to work. QSB was very severe on 10. 15 had a fair number of operators. QSB was less severe. I found the bulk of stations on 20 meters. I made a few contacts on 40 meters but band noise was high so I didn't spend much time there. Conditions during the times that I had to operate on 80 meters didn't support making contacts. I made a total of 26 contacts, working 16 states and one province, with the furthest station being W0OJY, the Prairie Dog Amateur Radio Club in Yankton, South Dakota, a distance of 1,076 miles. For the first time in a long time, I didn't work any West Coast stations. I tried to work a Nevada station, but couldn't get through the pile-up. But the point of field day was achieved. Using emergency power and running just 5 watts under poor propagation and insanely crowded bands, my information was sent and correctly received out to over 1,000 miles to 16 states and one Canadian province. Not as good as previous years, but band conditions weren't as great either. School club roundup, fall and winter terms. There are two school club roundups, a fall term or October session, the third full school week of October, and the winter or February session, the second full school week of February. According to this, the October session will be from October 17th to the 21st. This is another deceptively simple contest. Work the school-based amateur radio stations around the U.S. and Canada on normal amateur bands. A lengthy list of suggested frequencies is usually noted in the ARRL SCR page, always excluding the work bands, but reality of the bands makes it impossible to stick to those frequencies. This is another deceptively easy contest. You would think that given the five days the contest takes up, your score would be in the tens of thousands without working that hard. Not so. First, there aren't that many schools that have amateur radio stations. I believe it's currently in the low 100s, compared to the number of schools that have, say, football teams. Second, schools operate almost entirely during school hours. 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Third, school stations have to work around school schedules, class schedules, teacher schedules, activity schedules, testing schedules, and weather problems. A big issue during the February winter session. Fourth, school stations have to contend with more technical issues such as where temporary antennas can be placed, how to run feed line safely to the station, making sure all students are safe from electrical and RF hazards involved. And finally, most school stations don't operate contest style, though some do, particularly high school and college stations that have developed a competitive spirit. When a particularly strong station is encountered, sometimes teachers like to pass the mic around and let each student introduce themselves. Contacts are encouraged to chat with the students, ask them age-appropriate questions about their schoolwork, favorite subject, what they think they'd like to be when they grow up, and you're expected to tell a little something about yourself, your station, etc. So exchanges can take a while. You'll be talking with students from kindergarten to postgraduate studies. That's a lot of educational territory. But that's the point of this contest. In addition to learning about radio propagation, electronics, antenna theory, and communications technology, students are learning a little something about geography, weather, and polite discourse. It is, after all, part of their learning experience and you want to encourage them to join amateur radio as they get older and have more positive experiences with this subject. SCR rules change from year to year, so as we approach this year's October session, check in at ARRL.org and look for School Club Roundup information. One thing you can work on personally is your Worked All States School Club Roundup, WASSCR. That might be a lifetime's work. So far, I'm up to 35 U.S. states contacted and confirmed through SCR. As far as I know, there isn't actually such an award, but you can keep track yourself and have the satisfaction of working all 50 states with a school in each one. That would be quite an accomplishment. Aside from the obvious Hawaii and Alaska schools, I'm oddly missing next-door West Virginia and D.C., but also hard to find Nevada, Utah, and New Hampshire among the missing. More troubling is that, going back over the school contacts in my log, many schools or sponsors have, for whatever reason, let their licenses expire. And finally, all school stations love to collect QSL cards and display them proudly on the classroom bulletin board. So by all means, send yours in. But if you want a card in return, please include a self-addressed stamped envelope (SASE) for the return card. Very few schools provide a budget for their amateur station, though some are lucky enough to have received an ARRL grant for theirs so anything you can do will help. Want to set up an amateur radio station at a school near you? The ARRL provides many tips on doing so at ARRL.org under FAQs, How to Approach Schools. February 2022 SCR results. It took five days to log 11 school clubs in the February 2022 SCR. Five contacts were on 40 meters and the others were on 20 meters SSB. Even so, 10 of the contacts counted toward my all States School Club Roundup. W9YT, University of Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. KY4DH, Dixie High School, Edgewood, Kentucky. K5LBJ, Lasa High School, Austin, Texas. K5LSU, University of Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. NR7RX, Madison High School, Rexburg, Idaho. K8LPS, Columbiana High School, Ohio. WB4HS, William Byrd High School, Vinton, Virginia. W4LMS, Lafayette Middle School, Lafayette, Georgia. KF5CRF, Tiger Radio Club, Magnum, Oklahoma. K8YSU, Youngstown State University, Ohio. F4WTL, W Travis Lofton High School, Gainesville, Florida. 1715 12 meter activity group. Finally, a reminder that if you ever want to test your rig antenna any day of the week, try the activity group which meets at 1730 UTC on 18,157.5 kilohertz, 17 meters. 1830 UTC on 21.383 megahertz 15 meters and 24.96 megahertz 12 meters if the maximum usable frequency allows stations from all over North America are standing by to give you a signal report listen for bud w3ff in northern california who's usually around for the group, mostly as an instigator and moderator. It's not a net, so there are no check-ins or topics of discussion. The group aims to promote activity on those three bands, which is why out-of-the-way frequencies are used. I'm always amazed when I check in at the signal reports received from around North America, even Hawaii and New Zealand. And now, Amateur Radio Insights by Kirk Kleinschmidt, NT0Z, NT0Z at StealthAmateur.com. Looping back. Now that I have a rotatable NA4RR hexagonal beam atop a tower, despite the 22-foot tower's inherent shortcoming, my HF antenna farm is all set. After all, a beam's a beam. Pinnacle of HF performance and the ham American dream antenna is what we all strive for. Well, not necessarily. It's true that the hexagonal beam will soon be moving up in the world, taller tower, but still, I can't get over my frustration about not having suitably placed trees or other sky hooks to support a horizontal loop. Now that I've been on HF for oh my god, 45 years, I have had the pleasure and the pain of using a wide variety of antenna types. Many of the best performing antennas belonged to someone else, mostly ARRL HQ, and many of those antenna types had price tags I was unable then or unwilling now to pay. At 22 to 25 feet, It works pretty well, but the hexagonal beam doesn't seem to outperform even the modest horizontal loops I've used over the years. And if I had the sky hooks for a triangular or square horizontal loop at 40 to 50 feet, cut for resonance at 5 MHz or lower, I'd happily decommission any typical HF beam on any tower shorter than 60 feet or so. Why? Why? because a big horizontal loop performs as well as the typical HF tribander in all directions at all times on all bands 20 to 10, all while requiring no rotator and no tower. It does require matching, however. Bonus, it kills domestically on the lower HF bands, which no hexagonal beam or tribander can claim. There are two HF antenna types that I consider to be foundational and indispensable. The inverted L vertical and the horizontal loop. And because the horizontal loop can also be used as an inverted L vertical, that makes the horizontal loop my bottom line secret weapon. Many hams, big guns included, have had the same experience. Of course, in the most practical sense, the half-wave dipole is arguably the most essential antenna building block in many ways, but as I will detail, loop antennas, oriented horizontally and sometimes vertically, offer several matching and performance benefits that shouldn't be overlooked. Unless I'm building a Yagi, or I have to work within a certain set of restrictions, I'd never use a dipole when a loop is also a possibility. The antenna I always put up, if possible, is a horizontal loop cut for 60 or 80 meters and fed with open wire line and a ground mounted auto tuner, which also makes it much easier to use the loop as an inverted L vertical. Historically, my horizontal loops tend to be triangular, the shape that offers full performance but requires the fewest skyhooks, with one leg on a tower or mast and the other two supported by trees. My preferred installation height is 50 to 60 feet, 100, but 30 to 50 feet will get the job done, especially on the upper HF bands. From decades experience, I know that these antennas put out huge stateside signals, all bands, and work plenty of DX, especially on 20 to 10 meters. For 160 to 60 meters, maybe 42, the open wire feeder line can be shorted at the ground mounted auto tuner via remote relays, and the whole mess can be worked against a set of ground radials or a ground screen to make an inverted L or top-loaded vertical. Haters gonna hate. Despite decades of positive feedback from thousands of users, the horizontal loop antenna still gets bashed by armchair antenna designers. No one antenna is the best for every particular installation, of course, But I have no qualms about stating that the horizontal loop is the best multiband wire antenna I have ever used. It's been my secret weapon for nearly 40 years. Like many ops who use them, I've been a real loop evangelist since I first tipped my vertical loop on its side in the 1980s. More than a few loopers shelved their tri-band Yaggies after putting one up. For the average ham, discovering a single, simple, inexpensive wire antenna that can provide DX and stateside performance on all HF bands that rivals dipoles and beams mounted at typical heights, usually too low to be really effective, is critically important. Our enjoyment of amateur radio is defined by antenna performance. Whether QRP or QRO, whether you have a garden-variety rig or a top-of-the-line transceiver, if you don't have a good antenna, your radio and your power level won't really matter. Sure, if you had several 100-foot towers and a bunch of directional gain antennas, you wouldn't really miss the horizontal loop, except for close-end contacts on the low bands, where the horizontal loop can make you sound like a broadcast station. But if you have a limited budget that allows for only one decent HF antenna, and your antenna farm can physically support it, this is that antenna. Secrets known only by loopers. Much maligned by armchair antenna designers and hams who model antennas but never build them. If someone tries to convince you that a horizontal loop is a simple cloud burner that only radiates straight up, Just walk away, especially if he's holding a radiation pattern chart that proves that the antenna is good only for local, or NVIS, communications. He will no doubt be comforted by his chart while you're working DX left and right. We'll continue this article next time. Thank you for joining us for Hobby Radio. My name is Keith.